The following was recorded live as part of homeschool.com's 2005 homeschooling teleconference. To order additional recordings, visit www.homeschool.com or send an email to orders at homeschool.com. So hello everyone, welcome back. This next hour we're going to be speaking with Diane Flynn Keith. Uh, we're talking, the topic is why and how to teach your preschooler at home. Uh, my name is Rebecca Kokenderfer. I'm your host for this call. I'm the senior editor and co-founder of homeschool.com. And it is my very great privilege to introduce you to uh, my good friend and an excellent and very popular homeschooling speaker, Diane Flynn Keith. Uh, Diane has been homeschooling her two sons for 14 years in the San Francisco Bay Area. She is the editor of HomeFires.com, H-O-M-E-F-I-R-E-S.com, which is an online journal and resource center for homeschooling families. Uh, she's a popular writer and speaker. Uh, one of my very favorite books, Car Schooling, uh, it was written by Diane. And Diane is also the publisher of Click Schooling which she's going to tell you about. It's a free daily e-service that provides you recommendations for uh, terrific educational websites every day. A different uh, website comes to you every day. Uh, I know you're going to love uh, hearing Diane speak. Uh, today she's talking about um, universal preschool and about um, homeschooling your younger child, which is a very uh, passionate topic. So uh, hello and please welcome Diane Flynn Keith. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. So happy to have you here again. Uh, yesterday, in fact, it was on Monday, we spoke about What About Socialization, which was a terrific interview. And I know a lot of people are big fans of yours. They were speaking before the call. Uh, if you missed our earlier uh, interview, you can order the recordings at homeschool.com slash preorder, and then we'll send those out as soon as possible. So, so Diane, let's start out right away uh, talking about um, uh, homeschooling the younger child, the preschooler. I know that there's been a huge push lately by state and federal government to implement what's called universal preschool programs for ages, children of ages two to five. Uh, what is that? What's going on with that? Well, there are a number of factors that are driving this push for preschool, and um, they. Uh, so I'm going to go through all of them. There's really four major ones that that I've been able to identify. One is the demand for daycare, of course, that stems from the increasing proportion of families that have both parents in the workforce or single parents in the workforce. And another factor is the need to manage a growing non-English speaking population. There's been a marked increase in the number of preschoolers who are English language learners. In fact, 39% of the preschool population do not speak English as a first language. And when these children enter school uh, where classes are taught in English, they're at a disadvantage. Most are perfectly bright and eager students, but because they can't understand English, they're soon identified as having special needs and then they're tracked in, in special ed programs. And as a result, they're often disenfranchised, they're bored, they're frustrated, they may eventually drop out of school, and without a diploma they can't find work, and they may wind up on welfare, or they may simply drown their anger and frustration and despair in drugs and alcohol, or they may resort to crime. And all of these things, special ed, welfare, drug abuse, and crime, cost society money. So the social engineers have been at work, and they think, what if you could teach this population to speak English when they're two to five years old? Would it solve the problem? Well, the answer is unknown, but it'd be an interesting social experiment, right? So one of the problems is that among non-English speakers, there is a cultural predisposition not to send young children to preschool, and they raise their young children at home until they're of school age. Well, we know that language is most easily assimilated at a very young age, and in a democratic society, 
you can't target a portion of the population and say, you have to go to preschool to learn English because you'd be accused of discrimination. Plus, taxpayers might not support a program that only benefits a few. So instead, you have to make everybody think that they will benefit. And what parent, if convinced through propaganda that their child will do better in life by attending preschool, wouldn't sign them up for it? So that's one of the reasons why you're seeing this push to preschool right now. There's two more factors I've identified. The agenda of special interest groups like teachers unions that will profit from public preschool programs. Um, the preschool programs will provide job security for teachers and administrators and all of the connected contracts for specialty interest groups like curriculum providers, transportation providers, food service providers, construction companies that build schools, maintenance and custodial services, school psychologists, and, of course, you can't underestimate the interest of drug companies in education. And finally... The social security solvency and the development of human resources for corporations is a huge factor. People don't like to hear this last explanation because it sounds so calculated and cold-hearted, you know, to put preschoolers and, and frankly, what I view as public prisons simply in the interest of money. But the old adage, follow the money, is alive and well in this push for preschooler for all programs. Early in... I didn't want to interrupt you, but what you're saying is so important. It used to be that children started school for first grade, and right. kindergarten was an option. And now, of course, children start at kindergarten. It's not even considered to be an option anymore. And your concern is that pretty soon that preschool is not even going to be an option, that all children are going to start school when they're two and three years of age. Is that correct? Correct. And you're saying that there's a lot of motivation towards that, is that uh, follow the dollars, that there's some economic reasons and also babysitting reasons uh, why children uh, are being encouraged to start school at such a young age? Yeah, and I, and I think even if the even if the intentions, I mean, if we if we look at this and say, okay, um, the, uh, the research studies show, uh, in fact, the Economic Policy Institute um, released a study called Exceptional Returns: Economic, Fiscal, and Social Benefits of Investment in Early Childhood Development. Um, and in it, the author makes a fiscal case for U.S. government-funded preschool programs. And the book's introduction says flat out, this study illustrates the potential benefit to the solvency of the U.S. Social Security uh, system from early childhood development investment. So the idea is to send preschoolers to, um, to pre I mean, send children to preschool so that we can develop and harvest human resources. And I know that sounds, uh, it can sound very alarmist, but I think we need to pay attention and be a little bit alarmed at, at what's happening. And even if the intentions, Becky, of the proponents would, is to do good by helping the unfortunate or giving working parents a break, why is there a push to include everyone when research tells us that little kids from normal or advantaged homes receive no discernible benefit from typical preschool programs, and in fact, they might actually be harmed by them? Let's talk so about while, that, Diane. Yeah, so I'm while all of I just these... want to interrupt you for a moment because it's so important. So, in other words, the advantages of having universal preschool, of requiring everyone to go to preschool, is that um, children where they come from an English as a second language home, uh, that they'll have better English skills. And also, uh, single parents or two-earner parents, they, they'll have the opportunity of having free uh, babysitting, free child care. But now let's talk about what are some of the disadvantages of sending children off to institutionalized learning at such a young age. Oh, boy. Um... Well, there, there are a whole lot of uh, reasons why uh, parents, uh, you know, shouldn't probably send their kids to school. Uh, I think they, uh, to preschools, I think parents should be concerned about doing what's best for their children. 
there's a preponderance of research evidence that early separation from parents and too early academics. And, and I'm not talking about exposing kids to the bounty of life or helping them learn how to read if they're interested or write their names. I'm talking about standardized curriculum, that kind of academics, that those things are physically, intellectually, socially, and emotionally harmful to young children. Child psychologists are urging parents right now to get little kids out of academic curriculum-oriented facilities and back into nurturing homes with natural learning experiences and loads of imaginative play. Children learn best through imaginative play. It's been studied and proven over and over again. The best environment for a young child is with loving parents who provide enrichment opportunities in a supportive and secure home while being attentive to the kids' needs. That's the ideal. And parents can introduce their little ones, as I said, to the bounty of life. And that can include, you know, the thoughtful and occasional use of private and co-op preschool programs, if that's what the parent feels is, is purposeful in educating their own child. Um, while working parents, you know, may need child care services, uh, their children will still do much better in the care of extended, functional, loving family members or in private child care institutions. Uh, or situations where, again, there's less focus on rigid structure and academic work and more opportunities for open-ended explorations and discoveries under the watchful guidance of loving, caring adults. You can't get that in a preschool, in a public government preschool. Just beautifully put, Diane. Plus, I mean, at least nowadays, preschool is an option. You can choose to do it or not according to your circumstances, or you can do it for however many hours a day you might choose to do it. But if it becomes required and mandatory for all, well, then we've just lost that choice. Yeah, but you know, Becky, that's a really good point that, that you're making. And the problem here is, too, is that a lot of parents aren't concerned about the fact that this preschool programs are being introduced as voluntary um, because they figure that just like with homeschooling right now, you can opt out and homeschool your child. But here's the thing that everybody needs to understand. Unlike elementary school and high school education, preschool facilities and teachers come under other state health safety, and child welfare regulations and certification that parents would be hard-pressed to comply with in order to qualify to teach their own kids at home. So if you're someone who doesn't object to the implementation of government preschools for other people's kids, just as long as you can do what you want, just remember that you better watch the legislation carefully and be sure that the language protects your right to determine whether or not your child will go to preschool and whether or not a parent can qualify to provide an alternative to government preschool by law. Let's talk some more. Um, of course, you and I have rate, we've been homeschooling for 14 years, each of us, and our children are getting older now. We had the uh, the privilege and the pleasure of of keeping our children at home when they were younger. So let's talk about some of the advantages. What are some of the advantages of homeschooling your children during these younger years? Well, um, I know that word. I know the word homeschooling. I know for myself. Uh, my, my I had just babies. My first child was a baby, and I'd read about homeschooling, and it's just I thought, oh my gosh, this is what I've been looking for. You know, I had the butterflies in the stomach. I thought this is what I've been looking for. I want to homeschool my children. And when they were preschool age, I didn't, you know, set up school at home. It didn't really change what what I did, but it just changed the way I thought about the whole process. Suddenly, I took on responsibility for their learning, and I looked on opportunities differently. Has that been your experience? What are some of the other advantages of homeschooling the preschool, the younger child? Well, I, I think parents have been endowed by Mother Nature with the good sense to know what to do when kids need help and ask questions. 
there's a, this primitive, intuitive, biological dance that is taking place between parent and children, and it continues to this day. And I think parents need to drown out the noise from the culture that says they aren't qualified or they're incapable or, or that they need some expert to teach their children how to tie their shoes or never run with scissors or play well with others. I, I, I question what it says about a society when parents are indoctrinated to believe that they have no authority, no expertise, and no ability to parent and teach their own kids. I mean, what do you make of a culture that thinks parents can't be trusted to rely on their instinct and intuition to know and understand their own children and to guide them in learning about the world? I, Becky, I absolutely believe that the, the fact that parents love and care about their children more than anyone else in the world makes them uniquely qualified to teach them. That's right, because we care about them more than anybody else. That's right. And we know that the buck stops here with our children. We can't blame anybody else. We know the responsibility is ours in raising our children. Well, that's exactly right. And and just remember that parents do this. Functional loving parents who have their kids' best interests at heart make the best facilitators or teachers for the healthy growth and development of their children. And parents do this because they love their kids, not because they're getting paid to do it. But a lot of the advantages for homeschooling in general are really a, a big advantages for homeschooling the younger child. For example, let's think about values. When we talked about socialization on Monday, um, Diane, you know, who do you want your children to learn their values and their beliefs from? Do you want them to learn them from other five-year-olds, or do you want them to learn them from loving adults and other people in our lives who care about our children as much as we do? Oh, that's right. Common sense should tell you that to drop your toddler off at an institution with transient strangers for hours each day can't possibly be as good for kids as time spent in the company of their own parents who imbue them with their own values and beliefs. And and in the in the course of doing that, develop um, a, a mutually re- respectful interaction between parent and child that bonds to the, them together in profound and meaningful ways that will last them throughout their lifetimes together. And it will just make family life um, uh, much more compatible for everyone in the family. That's one of the big advantages of homeschooling is that parents and children tend to be much closer and siblings tend to have closer relationships. You know, what's going to happen to those relationships if children are gone all day? That's right. You know, That's really, right. how can they bond together and have the close family relationship that will benefit them their entire life, you know, growing up in a safe environment where you can be yourself, you know, without all the peer pressure? How are you going to have that if, if the children are off in an institutional setting from the age of two, three, four, five. Oh, exactly right. And, and think about this. Preschool is conducted in an artificial environment where children's time is managed for the purpose of crowd control. That's and right. Individual needs are diminished or neglected for the sake of group management. So a child's natural curiosity and the questions they ask, think of your own kids, they ask a thousand questions a day. They can't be answered except when it's convenient for the instructor or the teacher. And the child's interest in anything that has a... Uh, is, is difficult when there are time limits. You know, we have to move on from this subject because we have to go to the next group activity. So natural body rhythms are ignored. Artificial ones are imposed, like you have to have nap time and snack time and potty time. Or you're, you're just a little kid who's in the middle of critical gross motor development, doesn't have time to get up and move when they need to. And in that environment, a tiny child learns really quickly, Becky, not to trust and follow their own instincts and impulses and, and that to do that would be wrong and it should be ignored. They're forced through persuasion and rewards and coercion to passively comply with an authority figure who often doesn't have their best interests at heart. Preschool teachers require a child to exist in an environment where 
their impulses, I said, have to be constantly controlled where their actions and behavior are continuously monitored and judged. That's and right. to put, put a young child in a place where they must submit and surrender the self so that self-identity, self-interest, self-direction, and self-confidence may not be discovered or explored is probably not the best possible environment in which to nurture a developing and malleable human being. And we know that preschool teachers are not the devil, but like you said, there are crowd control issues. There's one adult and may, or maybe two adults and 20 children. You know, the interests of the individual just cannot become paramount. That's because, right. Because they just can't. But I know that our, our listeners are taking notes, Diane, so we're talking about the advantages of homeschooling. So we already talked about that, closer parent-child relationships. Obviously, you're going to know your child better the more time you spend with them. That's and right. then uh, closer sibling relationships. Your, the brothers and sisters are going to have closer bonds and closer relationships because they're spending more time together. You're growing and learning together. Uh, the individual child has a chance to grow and explore at their own pace. They have a chance to have white space in their life and a quieter uh, nurturing environment where they can kind of lo- uh, move at their own speed. What are some of the other advantages? That was for- so nice and succinctly put, Becky. <laughs> I'm going to take notes from you this- I like that very much. Yeah, and let's keep talking about it, too. Of course, when you're a homeschooling younger child, too, you're always looking for their learning style. Yeah. You know, you're identifying, oh, how you can tell when the children are younger, they tend to be much more kinesthetic anyway from the beginning. Everything is about touching and exploring. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and then when you take a look at this idea of young kids going to some institution or being home, most homes have a far more far more enriching opportunities in a classroom. A home has like a kitchen and a garden and pets and books and magazines and newspapers and money and computers and television and tools and machines and toys and games and music and uh, an infinite number of enriching items and environments for a kid to explore. Uh, Life opportunities to learn at every moment. Um, You know, there are all kinds of, if you're just aware of your environment and the world around you, it provides us all kinds of opportunities to learn and plenty of so-called curriculum. And children are naturally curious about everything. They ask a thousand questions every day because they're innately driven to figure out how to function well in the world. That's their job. Their job is to learn so that they can grow up and be independent and, and be capable of taking care of them, themselves and surviving on their own. So an aware parent simply has to answer their children's questions with facts and clarity and honesty and, and, and show them how to do things they're curious about. And helping little kids learn isn't rocket science. But, you it know, one of the advantages of homeschooling all ages is positive socialization. In other words, if our children are with us, they're going to be out there in the real world. They're going to be in the grocery store. They're going to develop good manners in the grocery store. They're at friends' houses, getting together for park days. Uh, you're visiting the, the pregnant mom down the street, visiting the older grandparents in the neighborhood. You know, many more opportunities for positive socialization when they're out there in the real world. Well, right, and their young preschool-age kids who are home are learning social interaction skills from adults and not from other young children. And, so, of course, another obvious uh, benefit, too, is health and safety. Oh, absolutely. The home environment is a much more safe and healthy place. Look at all the all the studies that have been shown about kids and how sick they get when they go to school. So, uh, yeah, they're little um, <laughs> germ, germ factories is what they are. The preschools. Yeah. And, and the best, they try to keep it clean, but you've got diaper issues and, and runny noses and touching the noses and touching other children. So, obviously, homeschooling the younger child is going to have huge health benefits. Right. And, and we'll be bringing those germs home to you. Right. And depending on the, you know, staff-to-student ratios, 
you know, there, there may not be enough staff, uh, competent staff, to be able to um, take care of the kids and have their best interests in mind and attend to everybody who needs attending to. Now, sometimes people send their children for preschool or are under pressure to send their children to preschool because they think that it will make the child ready for kindergarten and first grade. What are your thoughts about that? Well, you know, that's really interesting. We've had um, recently uh, teachers' unions are releasing uh, information that says that teachers are reporting that they're, that children are coming to kindergarten first grade unprepared um, that without readiness skills, uh, reading and math readiness skills, for example. And, and what you have to ask is what has happened, what has changed, because 20 years ago every kid, whether they went to preschool or not, was attending kindergarten first grade well prepared well what's happened in the last 20 years in the last 20 years we have more children attending daycare and preschool and so the solution by the teachers supposedly is to take these kids who have already been who are already in preschool and give them more of the same when when there's no studies to show that they're it's being helpful and in fact these kids have been in these programs and they're coming into kindergarten first grade unprepared they're saying the parents aren't spending enough time with their kids. They're not reading to them. They're not talking to them. Uh, they're not exposing them to the bounty of life. But um, I really do think that we really need to take a look at what's, ha- what's really happening. Um, parents may not be spending a whole lot of time with their kids, but they've got them in institutions. By far, the majority of children do attend preschools. And even so, they're coming into school unprepared. That's something we need to take a look at. Plus, when you've decided to homeschool your child, you have that, that shift. You've taken on responsibility for their learning. So you're watching. You're looking for reading readiness. Oh, my gosh, they're asking me all the time. You know, you know teach me to read, Mom. Teach me to read. They're sitting on their, your lap. You're reading with them. You're reading with them at nap time. You're reading to them at night time. You know, they're seeing you uh, love to read. They're seeing you write letters. They're seeing you pay the bills. So the children are getting a lot of the readiness skills, I think, much more naturally and better when they're at home with you. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, um, you know, I, there's something else on this issue that, I, that this reminded me of, was that the Rand Corporation re- released a report in 2004 that said the majority of children, whether they went to preschool or not, entered kindergarten and first grade fully prepared to learn. Now, in a dramatic turnaround, Becky, they released a report that happened to be funded by the Packard Foundation, whose mission it is to establish public preschools by 2010, that concluded that kids weren't properly prepared. Well, which is it? You can't have it both ways. They have two different reports reflecting two entirely different opinions. And what's clear to me is that money talks, and money pays for the spin that's needed to push through the agenda, and that's universal preschool. Not necessarily what's best for the child. It's never about what's best for the child. It seems to always be about what's best for the adults, what's best for the corporations, what's best for the special interest groups. It's never about what's best for the children, and that's the question we have to keep getting back to and insist that policymakers consider before they implement these crazy programs. You know, I'm thinking about the active little boy, too. I know when my son was younger... My goodness, if, if we'd put him into a, a kindergarten setting, they would have uh, labeled him as attention deficit, and they would have put him on Ritalin. Oh, mine too. Yeah, because, you know, boys tend to be more active. They're active girls too, but it's awfully hard to uh, have put them in a setting that's so controlled all the time. Oh, right. They have, you know, they're always being steered somewhere. They have to sit still all the time. It's just so unnatural for them when their instinct is to move and to explore. 
And you can have that at, at the home setting when you may only have one or two or three children, but you can't have that in a school setting when there are 20 or 30 children, and so we medicate them. You know, we make the child sit still because otherwise if you can't have the proper crowd control. Exactly right, which gets back to my point about special interests and never underestimate the the um, power of the drug companies or their their part in, in this push to preschool as well. Um, the drug companies stand to benefit from exactly that. And, you know, it's funny that you should say that. Even my kids were would have been, I'm sure, diagnosed ATD. They, they had so much energy. I still have, my kids spend a lot of their day climbing the door jams in the hallway all the way to the top of where the ceiling is, and I didn't have the heart to paint over some little tiny um, footprints and handprints that are up on the ceiling. I know. But from remembering those days. And they had the freedom to do that. My they had been multiplication tables jumping on a, on a trampoline. That was exactly appropriate for them because we talked before about their gross motor development. They need opportunities to do this. I hear all the time little boys can't sit still. They don't have a lot of fat on their fannies in the first place. So it's hard for them to sit still. But the other thing that really happens with five and six year old boys oftentimes is, is their upper chest, um, develops. And what they really, that's why they will often pick up these sticks and start banging things and stuff because it helps to develop that musculature. Um, and, and in schools they can't do that. You know, they, they're not allowed to. But in my backyard, my kids could pick up sticks and beat away on the rocks and, you know, and, you know, <laughs> the beat up lawn furniture that we had out there. And that was very appropriate for where they were developmentally. So you believe then, and according to the research, um, a child will be prepared and possibly even, probably even better prepared for kindergarten and first grade if they are kept at home where the parent is taking responsibility for their learning and looking out for learning opportunities for them. Exactly right. Rather than putting them to a preschool readiness program. And and for parents that just don't have a clue, uh, you know, and sometimes parents just don't feel confident or capable of, of being able to figure out what to do with their children all day. And so for those parents, they, it, you got to encourage them to get involved in, you know, their community resources and to join support groups and mother's groups and things like that and homeschool support groups. And, and maybe we need even need to encourage the homeschool community to develop more and more, um, you know, preschool co-op programs for homeschoolers where they can all get together and share resources and ideas and information to um, to to make everybody feel more confident about their role in, in parenting their little ones at home. Isn't this, isn't this sad that we even have to have this discussion? I can't even have believe we're having this seriously, discussion. Seriously, seriously, that we have to use the term homeschooling for young children is to come up with some excuse or reason why we're keeping these beautiful little babies and children at home where they, where they should be naturally. They should be naturally, and they have been, for, you know, for thousands of years up until about 30, 40 years ago when preschools first, you know, became a part of our culture. Uh, parents were doing just a fine job then. I don't know what the problem is now. And I know that you're a your passion. You're a big advocate for trying to help other children as well so that all children, we, we've made the choice to homeschool. Not everyone has that option. So what can we do to help other children in our neighborhood and out there in the community in general so they are not required to go to preschool? Well, I'll tell you what, I, that, that's something that has really concerned me. And so I have uh, developed a website called universalpreschool.com where um, I house a lot of articles, uh, research, um, information, resources, how-to activities that give parents an idea of what they can do with their little ones and how they can, can connect with other people and use community resources to teach their kids at home. So that's one way, and I'm hoping by setting an example, more and more people will do 
exactly the same thing. Spell that website address for us, would you, Diane? It's www.universalpreschool.com. And so what do you have at universalpreschool.com? What type of resources that we can, we can help you with, we can get involved? Yeah, um, all kinds of research that, that will give parents the confidence to know that they can teach their own little ones at home. Uh, terrific articles, you know, on how to teach your kids at home. Um, all kinds of um, uh, suggestions for um, activities that you can do with the kids um, to cover um, every subject imaginable. In fact, if you want to take a few minutes, I'll go through with you with some of the the things that parents can do to give their kids academic readiness skills. Oh, Would you yeah, like to yes, do that? Please. Yes, please. And so, um, listeners, have your paper and pen ready because Diane always gives really good information. You're going to want to write fast. You know, a lot of the things that we that give our kids life skills also provide them with an introduction to subjects like math and science. So, for example, you can teach your child to cook. I mean, it may seem obvious, but I think a lot of people don't know that two-year-olds you know, are fully capable of learning how to crack an egg and, you know, how to stir pancake batter. My three-year-old used to stand up on a stool and stir his scrambled eggs. See? And, and I don't know why we're so afraid of allowing our children to do that if you're oh, supervising them. afraid. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know what you do? You make them self-sufficient. They need to learn how to do these things. And through cooking, they learn measurement. Um, and they learn the cooking process. Uh, confidence. Uh, they learn the, the science of chemical reactions when heat is applied to substances or when baking soda or yeast is added to a recipe. And uh, there's a homeschool mom who developed an entire cooking curriculum for all ages that you can check out and you can purchase it. She has some free recipes and, and suggestions and ideas for uh, teaching little ones how to cook, but also all ages of homeschool students. And what's, her, the, what's the name of that book? Her, well, it's a, you can get it the program through her website, and I'll give you the website address. It's www.homeschoolcookbook.com, and it's all one word, homeschool cookbook. So that's, that's one thing, is that cooking. You can explore nature in your backyard or at a nearby park or a hiking trail. You can sort and count rocks and shells and seeds that you find along the way. That lays the groundwork for understanding math. Um, you can get owl pellets and dissect them with your kids or get an ant farm or plant a butterfly garden. There's so many things you can do. There's a fabulous resource for homeschoolers, and it's for all ages. It's called Acorn Naturalist. They have a fabulous catalog filled with all kinds of science kits and things and tools that you can use with kids. Um, and Insect Lore is a good one, too, isn't it? Insect Lore is a fabulous one as well. I'll give you, uh, I have the website address for Acorn Naturalist. It's www.acorn, A-C-O-R-N, naturalist, N-A-T-U-R, a-L-I-S-T-S dot com. And do they have the silkworms and the ant farms? And silkworms, ant farms, you know, the, the butterfly farms, you know, where you get the, they're in cocoon and they're in chrysalis or, or, uh, and, and then you can watch them unfold and become butterflies. Um, and again, the owl pellets, which are so much fun to dissect and see what the owl had for lunch, you know. And, um, uh, they just have some really fabulous tools. They have wonderful puppets. Um, you know, that are in the shape of different kinds of endangered species and things. They have uh, DVDs, CD-ROMs, um, uh, audio tapes, all kinds of fabulous uh, scientific information. You know, when website. my children were younger, I uh, set the house up in a station approach because it just appealed to me. Like a preschool. I did, like a preschool. I love okay. it. <laughs> I, I had the little science area where I had yep. stuff, and I had the blocks area. 
And yeah. I had a beautiful little reading area with the bean bags and the little mini bookshelf with all the books and the good lighting and the tape to listen to audio books. And I had the music area. I just, I loved it. Our whole home reflected that we were homeschoolers. Yes. Well, and that's a wonderful idea. There's no reason why people can't model their home, their homes on that. It's like a, a Montessori, uh, kindergarten. It was, and that way I always had interesting things out because the, the preschool in our area, I noticed they had the station approach. They never had fussing among the kids. Because yes. there was always plenty of neat things to do. If somebody was already at the block station, then you went over to the snake area. Yes, that's that's exactly right. Uh, I, I think that's a wonderful way to do it as well. We had similar things in our house, um, although we tended to use rooms for different kinds of projects because the projects tended to get r- really um, <laughs> complicated and they took up a lot of space. And it becomes such a comfort for you, too, as a parent because you see firsthand, day after day, how children are naturally hungry to learn and you just get out of their way, and you had them meet resources, and you just watch them learn these at incredible pace and these incredible things that you didn't even know they were capable of doing. Absolutely right. And, and you know, other things, you, it doesn't just have to be inside the home either because you can plant and tend and harvest a garden to introduce life skills and botany and entomology. We always had a garden with our kids. My husband, every year, uh, constructed green bean teepees, and I have beautiful pictures of my kids, you know, picking out from the green bean teepees in our gardens. They, they learned, they ate a lot of vegetables and liked vegetables, I think, as a direct result of having worked in our garden. Um, there's a fabulous website that has a complete parent's primer for free on teaching kids of all ages how to garden at www.kidsgardening.com, K-I-D-S-G-A-R-D-E-N-I-N-G.com and a great resource for people who would like to use the garden as an inspiration for learning every kind of subject imaginable. And you know that kids love money. What a great way to introduce math is through coins and counting coins. Um, And history can be introduced that way, too, as you tell the kids what's on individual coins and the names of the different presidents. Um, You can weigh and measure items at the grocery store to provide math readiness. You can read together, and I really emphasize reading. More parents need to be reading to their kids every single day um, if they're not already, and you want to continue that well, well into even up to high school age or beyond. I think it's fun to have family reading readings together, you know, after dinner or something, just pick a book and, you know, read one chapter. But it's reading beautiful and, moments. I think our children are going to look back on those times as the highlights in their life. Oh, and the conversations yeah. that reading inspires and the subjects that you touch upon in reading uh, so you read together. You go to the library story times. They're absolutely free, and they help develop language skills. It's really easy to show a child how to draw letters and numbers, how to write their own name, and eventually how to write words. Um, you can write with lots of different kinds of things, too, like, you know, uh, you can form letters with shaving cream on the tile walls in the tub or the shower. You can use those. Have you seen those Crayola window markers Love that them. you can actually write on windows and mirrors? And it just, it uh, wipes right off. They're available at Crayola.com. I recently purchased some for myself because I just thought they were the coolest things. Um, but you can have all kinds of fun and be creative in the way that you learn, you know, how to write. Um, you can build with blocks and boxes to help kids understand form and structure and develop problem-solving solving skills. Um, art projects improve small motor skills through learning to cut and color and paste. And that's a huge one, by the way. I guess a lot of parents don't bother to teach their kids how to use a pair of scissors, 
but that is a readiness skill that teachers look for when your kids go to kindergarten and first huh. grade. Can they with, use a pair of scissors? Which they're afraid to have in the schools because of liability issues. It's hard to have anything dangerous. Well, right, and, and we don't want anybody running with scissors. <laughs> That's right, and they don't get a chance to cook at all. And I'll bet the parents are going to notice, too, that their um, house becomes the party house. You and I are talking oh. about that on Monday's interview yeah. because all the other parents are working. You're home with your kids. So you get to help the neighborhood kids as well. They're all going to come over because you You have all these cool things hanging around the house. Exactly. That's true. Yeah, and that you're interested in them and interested in them having fun and interested in them learning. And you bring your personal joy and enthusiasm yeah. to the process. The minute you do that, you, you have kids in the palm of your hand. And if you're excited about something, too. they'll get excited. Pardon me? We're making a difference in the whole neighborhood that way, too. Absolutely. Um, I, by the way, I know a lot of parents feel um, art stunted. You know, they just don't know what to do artistically with their kids. There's a great website <laughs> called kidsart.com, K-I-D-S-A-R-T.com, and um, it, it has a lot of great resources and ideas for parents to do with their kids. And what was the name of that catalog, too, where they had the bio color? That was a fabulous art catalog where they would give you art ideas and how to use their terrific art supplies. Oh, boy. I, I know what you're talking those... about. I don't recall yeah, the name. Maybe one of our... Do a Google search for bio color yep. because um, I am completely art stunted, but I, you know, I don't mind. I have a high tolerance for chaos, so I never mind having the mess. <laughs> and we well, you it. have to have a high tolerance for chaos when you homeschool, don't you? You do. And we turned our screened-in patio into a little art room. That's right. Yeah, so do a Google search for the bio color because that was a really good resource, too. And, Diane, I love your book, um, Car Schooling because you spend so much time in the car and all these great, uh, you know, the tapes that you recommend and the games, I found that that kept my sanity, too, when I was having uh, wiggly toddlers and crying kids in the car. Yeah, and I, I, a lot of those um, ideas, uh, I mean, you know, you could, you don't even have to get in the car and go anywhere. You could sit in the car in the driveway if you wanted to. It made you feel better. What but is a lot the of website those... for car schooling? Uh, yeah, it's carschooling.com. And they can get the book there. You have really good resources on there, too, don't you? Yeah, I do. I have a lot of free resources and games and activities that parents can use um, with their kids, whether they're in the car or standing in line at the grocery store or um, or even if you're having a desperation day yet in homeschooling, as we often do, where it does, you don't feel like your kids have learned anything, you're frantic, you're feeling like a total failure, you're worried your kids are going to be dumb as doorknobs. You know, you can open the book and pick an activity and, Maybe just read one of the fun facts or actually do one of the activities and, and find some relief in thinking, gosh, at least we did something educational today, yeah. you know? I love listening to the audio tapes and the audio books. My son loved the We Sing series, especially the one about dinosaurs. Oh my gosh, they learned these incredible things through those We Sing. Yes, and the other, the other fabulous resources is, uh, Jim Weiss's, oh yeah, um, uh, stories on tape and it covers everything from, you know, beginning fairy tales all the way through Sherlock Holmes mysteries and Greek mythology and fabulous things. And that's, his website is greathall.com, G-R-E-A-T-H-A-L-L.com. And the kids and, develop terrific vocabularies from listening to these books. Oh, yeah, and you can go right up. And they could read themselves. You're right, and you can go right up to the website and um, listen to um, excerpts before you purchase anything, which I find is really helpful as well. And, and not only that, but you can listen to them, decide if you want them, and if you cannot afford to purchase them, you can go to your local library and say, you know, I, I want to put these, these tapes on hold, or I want to... You know, t- check out these tapes. So that that's another uh, opportunity for parents as well. In fact, let's talk some more about the library. It is an absolutely fabulous resource. You bet. Free books, free tapes. They have the puppet shows. They have and story all times. Things. All of that. The story times. Great way to get together. Right. Having a story time, then having a picnic afterwards, making friends there. Well, and don't forget the children's librarians because if you find a book, a, a picture book or story book that your child particularly likes, you just take it to the 
librarian and say, do you have anything more along these lines? This is what my child likes. Do you have anything else in this range that would appeal to them? You'd be surprised. They just go through the racks and pull book after book, Terrific. you know, because they're, they're intimately familiar with what's in their stacks. This is so good. What else do you have? What other recommendations? Well, I, I think that making forts and playing make-believe games to fire up kids' imaginations so that they can act out dozens of characters and scenarios we talked about. When you're reading to your kids, they often, in their imaginative play, will take on the characters and scenes that they heard about in a book. And, and that's just the way they process information is through their imagination. So you don't want to estimate, underestimate the power of that to, um, you know, uh, grow little synapses and, and uh, get those dendrites firing in their, in their brains and to grow their brains. Uh, children learn, the other thing we're talking about was uh, uh, socialization, and children learn sandbox rules at local parks as they play with other kids. And because parents are supervising them, they learn social skills and how to use them uh, from their parents, not from their peer group. Um, when they're at the park, they can play in dirt and sand and water, and it teaches kids a lot about their world, the creatures they share it with. Sometimes you dig in the sand and you find a little beetle or something. Well, explore that. Talk about it. Um, they also learn a great deal about matter and form and substance and function when they're trying to uh, build sandcastles and things of that nature. Um, children's physical health can improve when you take them to the parks as well because they can swing on the swings, they can run and jump and tumble and climb and and so many other things. Um, you can explore your neighborhood. Go for walks in the neighborhood and take advantage of the community resources like the Mommy and Me classes at the local recreation department. Um, I use the nighttime a lot with my kids uh, when they were little. You can look at the stars at night and take walks in the moonlight. My kids were out in our backyard on sleeping bags, on our backs, every night during the summer checking out the stars and planets. And you don't have to have a lot of knowledge about constellations and astronomy to do that. You just look and observe and talk about what you see. You're teaching the scientific method of observing and recording. And here's a little tip for you. If it twinkles, it's a star. If it doesn't, it's a planet. And uh, the Perseid meteor shower is coming August 12th through 13th. It's a perfect time for parents to take their kids out in the yard and watch, yard and watch the shooting stars. Um, another thing you can do is to make really gooey science experiments. That's so fun. And there's a fabulous website I have to tell you about. It's called ooeygooey.com. That's www.ooeygooey.com. has all kinds of wonderful free ideas and recipes for crazy concoctions and science experiments that you can do with little ones. I love Mary Cole's book, too, Edible Art. Yes, a great book. That's great so book. much fun. Peanut <laughs> butter clay. Oh, my gosh, I used to love doing those. Yeah. Um, you can try. The other thing I think parents need to do is to really take their children's questions seriously and to try to answer their questions with facts and clarity and honesty. You can give so much learning in just a minute of time. You know, if your child says, what is that? Let's, let's, for example, it's a, it's a dog, okay? And, and you say, oh, that's a dog. I mean, you can do that. Or you could brush them off and say, oh, it's a dog. You know, I don't have time to talk about that right now. And, and unfortunately, that happens in homes. But if you just go, oh, be aware. They're curious about this animal. It's a dog. Well, what kind of a dog is it? Gee, it's white with black spots. It's a Dalmatian. Well, Dalmatians, what do we know about Dalmatian dogs? Well, they, they were used, um, you know, uh, by uh, fire departments as, as mascots. And why is that? Well, to find out why, you could certainly go on the Internet and look up Dalmatians and find more information or go to the library and get books and read about Dalmatians. Or you could watch the movie 101 Dalmatians. I mean, there's so many 
ways that you can take one single moment of time and and um, blossom it, magnify it into into many opportunities to learn many different subjects just through their interest in that one thing. So with regards to questions, I kept the question book, and when my kids were interested in something, if I didn't know the answer, I told them I was going to write down their question in the book and that I would show them how to find the answer when we had the time, and I always kept my promises to them, and we would find the answers to their questions. And, and I think it's really important for, for parents to really hone in on what their kids are interested in, what they're curious about, and to empower them by showing them how to find the answers to their questions that way, their whole lives, they will be self-directed learners. Oh, my gosh. That's the perfect, perfect statement to end on. Uh, Diane, I want to thank you so much for being here with us this last hour. We've been speaking with Diane Flynn Keith, um, homefires.com, www.homefires.com, universalpreschool.com, carschooling.com. Yes, Diane's a busy homeschooling mom. <laughs> <laughs> And thank you so much for being here. Let's open up the call uh, so we can take questions. And once again, callers, we are recording these interviews, so go ahead, order the recordings as soon as possible so we know how many copies to make up. You order them from www.homeschool.com slash preorder. So, uh, Diane, thank you very much. Let's see if we have time to take a couple questions before we go on to our next interview. Okay. Hello. First question, please, for Diane Flynn-Keith. Hi. I had a question. Yes, I okay. hear you beautifully. Okay. Um, Diane briefly mentioned um, the requirements. Like, I guess my, I was under the impression that uh, I have a two-year-old, so at this age that I could keep him home, and if we chose to send him to school, I really wouldn't need to have any um, documentation or anything until uh, because he was he was in preschool. But it's sounding like that's changed, that I need to even have documentation at this early no, I don't. Let me repeat that question, Diane, because it's okay. just excellent. So she has a two-year-old, and she's wondering, gosh, you know, do I, I can I let, keep my children home? When do I have to notify someone that I am officially homeschooling them? Right. It's different, and different states have different requirements. Some states require, I mean, have mandatory kindergarten. Other states do not. I don't know of any state yet that has mandatory preschool, and I want to be really clear about that. These programs that are being introduced are voluntary and um, with the potential to become mandatory. But right now, they're all being introduced as voluntary, so they are not altering the age at which your child needs to enter school right now. So in order to find that information out, you can go to your local um, uh, school district and just ask them what age is the required age for children to attend school. Um, or you can go to a homeschool organization in your state and find that information out as well. And, again, it varies by state. Oh, good question, good answer. Let's open it up again. Thank you. Thank you. Next question, please. Okay. Yes, next question. Yes. Hi, Diane. I was wondering what you think as far as – I have a three-year-old right now, a little girl, and no, she – No, clean may not have cars on it. She is a <laughs> – I guess a late talker. She's not really talking. So I'm hearing, well, you know, you need to get her into preschool. You need to get her evaluated through the school system. What are your thoughts on that? Oh. A little bit of noise on the line, Diane. Let me repeat that. So she has a young child who is a late talker. And so she was wondering what your thoughts are about that. Should she, should she put her in preschool to develop that skill? Should she have her evaluated? You know, we know that, of course, you're not a doctor. 
but just as a homeschooling mom, what are your thoughts on that? My instincts are for her to follow her instincts. Um, I think parents and mothers in particular um, are really in tune with their kids. And if you in your gut feel that there is a delay or a problem, then you need to follow it up. Never underestimate your maternal instinct. And if it's telling you that there's a problem, then I would say uh, talk to your pediatrician or look for a reading or speech therapist. Um, get recommendations from other people, you know, friends and people that you trust, that you trust, and and uh, pursue it that way, and maybe have her evaluated. Um, also, hearing is certainly an important part of speech development, so that's something to address again with your pediatrician if it is of concern to you. I will tell you, on the other hand, that you know some kids just don't follow the the typical developmental pattern. And they, they do get delayed in some areas, and then they're advanced in others. And Albert Einstein was one who didn't talk until he was three or four years old. So, I mean, I think, again, follow those maternal instincts. If it is of concern to you, then start to ask questions and seek advice and help from, from people who can help you. One of my daughters um, had a little bit of a list where she would reverse the letters, and we spoke to a, a speech therapist, and she said it was very common and that it would be corrected when she learned how to read and could see the order of the letters. Mm-hmm. And she was right. As soon as she learned how to read, it settled that out. Uh, interesting, yeah. Well, it's an excellent question. So, callers, we're going to take a uh, seven-minute break here, and we're going to come back in uh, from 1 to 2 Pacific time with Joy Hakem. Uh, Joy is the creator of the very popular uh, History of Us series, very popular with homeschoolers, which was turned into a PBS series. And she's going to be talking about storytelling as a way to teach history and science. So I'm going to open up the call again. And if you would, go ahead and unmute your phone, star six, so that we can uh, say thank you and goodbye to Diane Flynn Keith. Thanks so much, Diane. What an excellent, excellent hour. My pleasure, really. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome. Thank you.